This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the governor will announce a new tool in the fight against COVID-19. It's an RV. The state health department did not confirm the first case of coronavirus in Florida until the 1st of March, but a new report in the Palm Beach Post says it was here as early as January 1st. Ron DeSantis visits a coronavirus testing facility in Sarasota to give another upbeat assessment of Florida's response to the pandemic. He says the first batch of tests for COVID-19 antibodies is ready to go. The governor continues to face questions about the state's unemployment compensation system. He told reporters he doesn't want to play the blame game, and then he threw one of his own people under the bus. This is day three of Florida's soft reopening, but some local officials are worried that it's happening too soon and will increase the chances of another lockdown later this year. They blame the president for stirring up anti-lockdown protests. On the Sunrise interview, we talk with Rich Fiesta at the Alliance for Retired Americans. He's one of the groups that has filed a new lawsuit in federal court, challenging some of Florida's rules for vote-by-mail ballots. They want to make it easier to vote from home during the pandemic. We'll also have your daily calendar of events and check in with Florida Man. One is a former Green Beret who tried to overthrow the president of Venezuela. The other carried a toy gun and wore a dinosaur costume. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, May 5th. The latest update from the state health department shows 37,439 confirmed cases of coronavirus in Florida, 1,471 fatalities. That's an increase of 72 deaths in one day. The coronavirus has apparently been in Florida a lot longer than we've been led to believe. Using records from the state health department, the Palm Beach Post discovered the virus infected as many as 171 people in Florida long before officials announced it had come to the state. Patients reported symptoms of the deadly virus as early as January 1st when the disease was thought to be limited to China. Florida did not announce its first presumed cases of coronavirus until March 1st. The governor travels to Sarasota to check out a drive through testing facility. Ron DeSantis says the state is now checking more than 30,000 people every day and infection rates are going down. The state also has a brand new batch of test kits to check people for COVID-19 antibodies, which would indicate they've already had the virus. Usually the antibodies take about two weeks uh, to develop. It's not something that would happen overnight. So certainly if you were infected anytime February, March, early April, we would expect the antibodies to show. So we have already received 200,000 antibody tests for serological testing. We've done a survey of all the hospitals that may need some, so we're going to send them to any hospital that wants it. Clearly, it's important for the doctors and the nurses, so we're going to do that. And then we're going to have lanes dedicated to antibody testing at our drive through sites, and so people will be able to come by and get through that. We're also going to likely do our own state of Florida study where we can try to determine the prevalence in different parts of the state. As you look at the numbers, we have uh, almost 40% of the cases are in one county, Miami-Dade County. And then if you look at Southeast Florida, they comprise 60% of the cases and similar percentages for hospitalizations and fatalities. So the prevalence there may be a little bit different than some other parts of the state, but it's important for us to know. So antibody testing is finally here from, from the state. We're, we're gonna get many more coming down the line, but this 200,000 I think will be a really good start. Today, the governor will be announcing the acquisition of a new weapon for Florida's fight against the virus, a recreational vehicle. The first, I think the first of its kind, mobile testing lab, where we're gonna have an RV outfitted with a lab inside, and we're going to be doing the 45 minute rapid test. So we'll be able to take those to places such as long-term care facilities, 
tests, and we are doing that now, but get results back immediately or close to immediately, uh, which is very exciting. Uh, the company that provides the rapid test said they're not aware of anyone in the United States doing the mobile lab like they're doing now. They actually do this because Cepheid does the HIV test. So there's places in Africa where they will go around and do it. Uh, they haven't seen it yet. So they're, the company's excited as well. Florida Emergency Management Director Jared Moskowitz says they'll be sending that mobile laboratory to every corner of the state, or at least the corners that have nursing homes and elder care facilities. And the whole point of the mobile lab really is to get results faster for our long-term care facilities. So these people are going to get swabbed, they're going to get results the same day, uh, and then that thing is going to move from place to place to place. That's the whole point of being mobile. So don't be surprised if for a couple of days it's in South Florida, a couple of days it's, it's here in, in Sarasota, Manatee, Tampa, then it goes up to the Panhandle, goes over to Duval. I mean, we are going to move that thing around to continue to try to get different samples uh, from long-term care facilities and get results uh, as fast as possible. And we'll obviously follow where we might have cases that are popping up. We'll also go to asymptomatic places because we want to see uh, what's happening uh, in those communities. The governor has done media updates on coronavirus almost every day over the past two months, and it always seems to come back to unemployment. So while DeSantis wanted to talk about testing during his visit in Sarasota, reporters wanted to know when the state will finally fix the system and get all those unemployment checks in the mail. This thing was just totally shot. So we looked at, can you just get a new one? And the bottom line is that would have taken like a year. It just it was not viable. Can you figure out a way to just go around the system by hand? But you have to do all these checks to comply with law, so you just couldn't do it. So we've engineered it. Um, there's been, uh, I think, 777,000 of the claims have been processed. Uh, if you look particularly in the last couple of weeks, you're talking about hundreds and hundreds of thousands of payments um, that, that have gone out. So the last week or two has finally gotten us in a good spot. Not there yet. There's going to be more done on the system over the weekend. But what they're doing on the weekends, because you've seen some major spikes in payments on these Mondays, and that's great. They actually take the interface down. Uh, you can still apply on PEGA or send in a written application, but it allows them to make changes uh, because the system has really got flawed architecture. And by the way, uh, we're, we're doing an IG investigation into this thing was contracted in 2011. It's multiple amendments to this thing. It ended up being $77 million. The engineers I talked to said, look, for that type of money, this thing just didn't fit the bill. So we're going to research that, figure out, investigate, uh, figure out uh, you know, what the problems were. But in the weekend, they do work, but then they're processing all day and all night. And so that, I think, has helped get the numbers up. So we're continuing to work hard. It's obviously not, uh, not, not done. Uh, but compared to where it was three or four weeks ago when literally you, you could pay like 1,500 people at a time a day, that's not going to cut it when you have this many people. We also, I mentioned yesterday in the, in the brief, one of the, the part of the bottleneck was not the Florida system either. It was you submit, our system would take it, but then it's got to ping federal databases, which were taking forever to be able to give us answers. And that's required by the law to make sure you have a social security number, some of these things. So we were able to work with Highway Safety, who's got a lot of this information, and they've been able to validate it so much quicker. So a lot of those payments that came out um, over the last two weeks would been probably most of those still bottlenecked uh, with the federal verification. And so that was really good for DEO to work with them to be able to get that. So, so it's ongoing. 
it's been a top priority, but we've put so much resources into it because we know how important it is to people. DeSantis was also asked if he blames former governor and now U.S. Senator Rick Scott for spending more than $77 million on a computerized unemployment system that failed so miserably. DeSantis says he doesn't want to blame Scott, but that he threw his own Department of Economic Opportunity under the bus. Look, I don't get involved in the blame. I mean, my job is to fix problems. So when things present, I've got to figure out a way to fix it. We've worked hard. We've made progress. We've got more progress to make. You know, one of the things I was disappointed in DEO for was when, when this started, we knew there was going to be a crush. You know, I told them, get people. We need more call centers. We need more people. And they were like, well, it's going to take three weeks to train people. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's, it shouldn't be that hard. But DEO told me, we don't need as many call centers because you can just direct people to the website. So early in the process, they, I actually said go to the website because they told me that was the way to do it. They did not test it. They did not beta test it. And, um, and that was disappointing. And so obviously we've got new leadership there. We've done an all hands on deck approach. Uh, this was something that potentially we would not have had any checks out in April because the thing was so damaged. Uh, but we've we've been as resourceful as we can. You know, we have seven over 770,000 claims have been processed. Been sending out um, a lot of payments. We got to keep it up. We got to keep the momentum up. But if we get to the point where you know we're able to just as a matter of course churn out payments uh, every day at at a good level, you know, then I think people will see and, and they'll know. But people should know. There's a lot of work being done on it. Uh, I know many people have finally gotten paid. If you haven't and you're eligible, you know, it's going to happen. Uh, and we're working as hard as we can to get it out soon. It was the second day in a row the governor dissed Ken Lawson. Technically, he is still director of the Department of Economic Opportunity, but the job of fixing the unemployment system has been turned over to the head of the Department of Management Services. We're now in day three of phase one of the grand reopening of Florida, and while the governor is upbeat, many local officials do not share his enthusiasm. Joshua Simmons is a city commissioner in Coral Springs. When I saw the governor uh, taking a victory lap, if you will, in the middle of the pandemic, it's not over. People are still dying. People are still sick, uh, getting sick. Um, and, you know, that really bothered me uh, because we still haven't heard anything about um, uh, doing a full stop on uh, evictions and and, and canceling mortgages and, and, you know, putting a moratorium on that from the, the like, for a long time uh, because we only got it, I think, briefly for a couple of weeks. But, you know, here we are rolling into month two, two and a half. Uh, and people are still, you know, having to work it out with their own landlords. And I think that's wildly unfair. You know, we've been out here. We've been answering questions. We've been having to have tough conversations with people. Uh, you know, I've had the emails of people wanting to open up their boutique something. And I'm, you know, and I'm like, you know, we don't need to be doing that right now. We need to be hunkering down and just letting this get passed. Because once it's gone, then we can really operate how we need to. No one, not a Democrat, not an independent, wants to see their a business in their community fail because of this. We don't want that to happen, right? Um, but if we have to go back into a full lockdown, it will be even more disastrous for those businesses. Uh, and so it's best that we do everything that we need to do right now so that we can move forward, especially with the reports of it possibly coming back stronger in the fall. Kissimmee Mayor Jose Alvarez says he still can't understand how the state can proceed with reopening at this point. He blames Donald Trump for encouraging people to oppose stay-at-home orders. None of us qualify for those for that first phase yet. Uh, our numbers are not going down. The numbers continue to go up, but yet we went into phase one. 
And so my fear is that we're going to be too complacent. And we're seeing it with people out there in the street right now that they think that is back to normal. Here in our county, we've seen a lot of businesses trying to open up that were not in phase one. Uh, and so we have to be very careful because we don't want to become a New York. Numbers are not really going down. Numbers are moving up. You also have to look at something else. In the state of Florida, if someone dies in your city or your county, but they're not a resident or your city or your county, they reside in a different state, those numbers are not counted in our numbers. In the state of Florida, those numbers are not allowed to be put in the system to be counted. And so we know that there's a higher number of death rates because of this virus, but the numbers are not being put out. Uh, for what reason they're doing it, that's up to them. Uh, but we're not being completely honest. And so they think that the public is not smart enough to know. And we get a lot of the members of the public that they tell us, we know the numbers are higher, but yet we're not seeing them. This state is not putting out the numbers that really needs to put out. And I think that we're moving a little bit too fast. We need to listen to the experts. And if we stop listening to the experts, we're going to see numbers getting out of hand where we're going to have to turn back and, and do the lock-ins again that we had in the first place, but then it's going to be too late. It's that message that comes down from the top that is so toxic that is going into our communities. And we have members of our communities riding in the street because of, they're saying that we're taking their liberties away. My morning coffee today was me receiving a lawsuit from a group here in Osceola County suing us to dismantle the executive management group because we've been taking their rights away. So now we have to hire law firms to defend us so we can do our job. And the problem with this is that toxic message that's coming down from the top. Mayor Alvarez and Commissioner Simmons are both Democrats, but you probably figured that out already. You won't find any Republican officials in Florida talking about toxic messages from the top at least not in public. Next up on the Sunrise interview, we'll talk with Rich Fiesta, Executive Director of the Alliance for Retired Americans. That's one of the groups that has filed a federal lawsuit challenging state election laws because of COVID-19. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics. Florida Hospital Association members are safe, ready, and equipped to care for all Floridians. As our hospitals resume elective procedures, ensuring the safety and well-being of our patients, employees, and communities remains our first priority. Contact your local healthcare provider for information on visitation policies, access restrictions, and how to get needed care safely. Please visit the Florida Hospital Association at fha.org/covid for more information. Welcome back to Sunrise. Suing the Sunshine State has become a cottage industry in the legal profession. Ever since the presidential recount of 2000, Florida has been slapped with what seems to be a never-ending series of lawsuits accusing the state of engaging in all sorts of nefarious behavior to make it harder for people to vote. Our guest today is Rich Fiesta, who runs a group called the Alliance for Retired Americans. That's one of the groups that just filed a lawsuit in federal court, asking for a series of changes that would make it easier to vote in Florida during a pandemic. Everyone should have the right to vote, and it should be unencumbered with the fewest barriers as possible. And we at the Alliance for Retired Americans and our Florida chapter obviously represent people who are older and retired and who often have a more difficult time exercising their right uh, just because of their age. 
and then on top of it this year, putting this pandemic where older Americans are the most vulnerable to the COVID-19 virus, uh, that Florida law as it stands now, given those two facts, has a lot of uh, unnecessary and unneeded barriers to voting. So some of those, uh, we've gone to court, uh, in federal district court in Tallahassee, asking that, uh, these, um, unnecessary burdensome provisions uh, be set aside to allow our members and actually all Floridians the opportunity to vote this year. You've also raised a series of constitutional issues in this, mm-hmm. have you not? I mean, you're, t- you're talking about uh, violations of equal protection, due process, and there's even the al- alleged talk of a poll tax. How exactly was that going? Yeah, those are some of the uh, claims when you look at federal um, constitutional issues and then apply it to the law in Florida that uh, stick out. I mean, one of those um, is uh, a very simple thing. You mentioned poll tax that uh, some Florida counties, but not all, uh, provide prepaid postage to mail-in ballots. And this has been happening in a number of states around the country where states or local municipalities are giving uh, prepaid postage envelopes so you can send your, your ballot back without having to go to the post office or buying stamps and the like there. And it turns out, and this has been going on for a number of years, more people will vote. Uh, so that's a barrier to voting. Uh, other issues are um, constitutional, as most states allow someone, a trusted party, to return your ballot physically to the local election board because it's going to be sealed and signed and the like there. But Florida uh, specifically does not allow that for organizations, a lot of nonprofits that will uh, help in ballot collection. And we think that's a uh, constitutional infringement on um, speech and the right of assembly. So that's in there um, as a as, uh, count as well. Uh, another issue is whether or not your ballot can be counted. Most states, or many, I should say, have, as long as you're ballot is postmarked by election day, it's fine. It'll be counted if it comes a day or two or three or afterwards. Uh, Florida does not have that. It has to be in the election bureau by the close of the polls on election day. And what we've seen, and we saw this uh, even recently in the 2018 election, that many thousands of ballots that voters, and remember the focus is on the voter, uh, believe they had actually correctly cast their ballot, put it in the mail in time, but for whatever reason did not reach their election board in time. So uh, a postmark rather than this arbitrary and by election day uh, is another uh, issue we're concerned about, and we think um, the courts should uh, overrule that part of Florida law as well. What kind of potential disruption do you think the coronavirus has for the elections this fall? Well, unfortunately, we're already seeing it. Uh, we had an experience uh, with the Alliance for Retired Americans in Wisconsin in early April, where first you could not get enough polling places open or enough workers there. Uh, for example, the city of Milwaukee uh, normally has 180 polling places, as big cities do, uh, or uh, populated counties do. They were only able to open five polling places in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, that means longer lines, longer opportunity to be exposed uh, to the virus, uh, for example. And we're seeing since then uh, well over 50 cases of people who stood in line to exercise the right to vote or were poll workers have now to date 
um, been tested positive for the virus. And if we had better testing in this country, unfortunately, I think that would be longer so uh, or higher, excuse me. So the issue for primaries coming up and for the general election is we could be seeing some of the same things nationwide. So part of our suit is to ensure allowing for easy vote by mail or absentee voting to alleviate what are going to be real people problems when it comes time to actually running an election. Hopefully um, <laughs> we'll uh, move this move this along. You know, it's, you know, since 2000, you know the problems in Florida. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Down its 20th year. <laughs> you feel like you've, you've entered some kind of elite group now suing Florida over election laws? No, that, that's <laughs> – I think you need a bigger auditorium to put those people in a one place. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, it's terrible. The lawsuit was filed six months before the general election. In real life, that's plenty of time to work things out. But the courts move at a different pace. Your calendar of events. The Florida Supreme Court meets at 9 to hear arguments in four cases, including a dispute about a proposed constitutional amendment allowing people to use recreational marijuana. Aides to the governor, the attorney general, the agriculture commissioner, and the chief financial officer are meeting at 9. They'll be talking about issues in advance of the cabinet meeting scheduled for next week. The State Reemployment Assistance Appeals Commission meets at 9.30 in Tallahassee, and the Visit Florida Strategic Plan Task Force holds a conference call at 4. And it's time once again for the continuing adventures of Florida Man, and we got a couple of doozies for you today. A Florida man who used to be a U.S. Army Green Beret has taken responsibility for what he claims was a failed attack aimed at overthrowing Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro. The Associated Press reports that Jordan Goudreau was working with a retired Venezuelan Army general to train dozens of deserters from Venezuelan security forces at secret camps inside neighboring Colombia. Goudreau and the general are both living in Florida now. Their goal was to mount a cross-border raid that would end with Maduro's arrest, but the attack was thwarted by the Venezuelan military. Finally, a Florida man is busted in Brevard County, packing an airsoft rifle while wearing a dinosaur costume. Police say 19-year-old Anthony Burden was wearing a gamer dinosaur-type costume with a tactical police vest and a black ski mask while holding the air rifle and multiple magazines for the gun. Burden told officers he was part of a gaming group that wanted to participate in a flash mob. They arrested him for suspicion of disorderly conduct and wearing a mask while committing an offense at the park. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.